Welcome to Viewpoint, a TD Securities podcast. Listen in as we draw perspectives from a variety of thought leaders on key themes influencing markets, industries, and the global economy today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to episode three of Viewpoint, a TD Securities podcast that looks at important issues affecting capital markets. My name is Peter Haynes, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And I'm pleased to be joined by my colleague, Modi Jungre, Global Head of Capital Markets for TD Securities. Modi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Modi, what I love most about speaking with you is your passion for talking about markets. Today, I plan to cover off on a few of the hot button items that market participants are watching closely as we head into the home stretch for 2021. So let's start with the Fed. At the last Fed meeting on September 22nd, Chair Powell indicated that tapering would begin as soon as after its November meeting. At the same time, nine of the 18 Fed officials are ready to raise rates next year. Let's take a step back for a second. And can you explain for our audience, what is exactly this so-called concept of quantitative easing and what will tapering mean for asset prices? Uh, Thank you, Peter. So quantitative easing uh, is really a form of unconventional monetary policy in which a central bank basically purchase longer-term securities uh, from the open market. I mean, in some cases, they even purchase stocks, especially in Japan. Generally, but not always, they buy these securities using newly created money, which uh, why some people are equating equating it to printing money, but it's actually a little bit more complex than that. Long-term rates being artificially lowered by these purchases, and the intent is to have the lower interest rates and increase money supply, filters into the economy, and promote growth. The bonds that the central banks buy sits on the balance sheet. Tapering is really the process uh, in which the central bank reduces these purchases and therefore removes some of the support uh, to the market and the economy. So your view of the comments that were made by Chair Powell uh, regarding tapering uh, and what might actually impact, in particular tapering in the U.S., how that might impact uh, asset prices, in your opinion? Let's maybe talk a little bit about tapering here. So you know, the Fed had a hurdle, uh, they call it substantial further progress, and that hurdle has been met with the reopening of the economy. So we've seen hiring, we've seen higher inflation prints. They uh, also may be thinking about uh, the supply side issues, uh, uh, but that's not something that the Fed can really help via quantitative easing. So the Fed has set to taper starting November, as, uh, as you indicated, and really they hope to end it by the end of uh, June 2022. This uh, tapering timeframe is actually faster than what most of us thought in the market. Uh, and that's why uh, since the last uh, Fed meeting, we've seen uh, interest rates rise because people are expecting uh, you know, uh, the removal of purchases to be quicker than uh, it was uh, perceived to be before that meeting. However, when it comes to hiking interest rates, I think the bar is much higher. Uh, The Fed wants to see maximum employment. They want to see inflation overshoot at a sustained level of around 2% or more. We don't think that will happen until maybe late 2023. But the market is thinking that at the end of 2022, the Fed uh, will start uh, hiking rates. Tapering should mean higher rates. Why? Because basically, if the Fed is not the marginal buyer of bonds, other people have to come in and buy, be the marginal of bond. The Fed is not that much of a price sensitive, but other investors might be more price sensitive and they will likely ask for higher rates. The higher rates uh, historically should be somewhat negative for risky assets. Again, they might be positive for some sectors of the market like bank stocks, but uh, if the Fed can exit slowly and the economy stays strong, 
then you should expect the equity markets and credit markets to stay on track to be uh, continue to be fairly strong. I don't think that uh, you know when we talk about QE and tapering, we also ask the question of what's happening in the rest of the world because we talk about other central banks. I think it's important to note, you know, with this quantitative easing in Japan, this quantitative easing in in Europe. I don't think that uh, Europe can uh, be as quick as the Fed. I think the ECB can, will continue probably uh, on a, a little bit longer than the Fed. They don't have the same inflation problem that the, that the U.S. have, and they also don't have as much of fiscal support like the U.S. have. So you mentioned the tapering plan is on an aggressive calendar, trying to get it done by June of 2022. When we think about some of the key risks to this tapering plan, is it all about COVID variants? Or are there other factors that the Fed will consider in terms of its timing for tapering? It's not just the COVID. It's, it's really to see that the economy is actually uh, moving along. Now, we've seen uh, significant, uh, and I think we will probably cover some of it later, but we've seen significant changes in, in the dynamic in the labor markets. And we need to make sure that the economy continues to grow at a, at a fairly healthy pace for, for the Fed to uh, finish the tapering. There's always a chance the economy slows down. There's always a chance that uh, Delta or the COVID uh, reemerges and, and create more issues. So it's not a, just a, an assured thing that the Fed is just going to taper and then move on to high grades. So we've got to see a fairly smooth sailing from here. And that's why the Fed has always been so careful in navigating uh, these moves. Well, you mentioned labor a second ago, and everybody seems to have a story these days about labor shortages, despite unemployment rates remaining above pre-pandemic levels. Some pundits in Canada will blame support instruments like CERB. Even though every major corporation is suffering through supply chain problems, causing prices to rise, and the Fed itself admitted inflation will remain above its target for the next five years, do you support the Fed's view that inflation currently is transitory? There are a few issues here. I mean, one, it's not just the labor shortages. Obviously, there's also significant uh, supply chain issues. We all experience it in our lives, uh, daily lives, or where we... Uh, have a hard time getting certain products or prices have been elevated. This, this is a global issue. Uh, it's obviously over time uh, will go away, hopefully, but uh, we have to see. And then, of course, we have the labor issues and shortages, which to your point, some of it is because of a program or government program that's really been uh, disincentivized people to go back to work. But others as well are is that the pandemic affected all of us and or many of us, and some people have, have chosen to either relocate their families, focus on just working from home, focusing on maybe taking some time off. So I think uh, there's been uh, that's part of the equation here. And we need to see that people are, as the economy continues to reopen and some of those programs are being unwound, then we need to see that uh, people are ready to come back to work. And some of those uh, labor shortages are going to, if you like, uh, ease. Because if they don't, then inflation is going to be uh, fairly persistent. And if the supply chain issues are not going to ease as well in the, in the coming you know, six to 12 months, then inflation also is going to be uh, persistent. So I think that we ultimately think that things will come down, but that's, if you like, the big risk here, that things are creating a momentum of their own, that wage inflation start to pick up, that the Fed falls behind, and then we have, uh, I don't want to call it a runaway inflation, but an elevated inflation for, for years to come. I definitely think we're going to be talking more about that particular topic uh, in the next few. In fact, I think that'll be the most common discussed point uh, over the next few months in terms of, uh, of markets and people's expectations for uh, the future of, of capital markets. Uh, the Fed gets a huge amount of credit, Modi, for how it supported markets at the beginning of the pandemic. 
uh, through its asset purchases, which you just discussed about uh, of bonds and credit instruments, and, and as you say, in some countries like Japan, equities. These purchases not only stabilized asset prices, but they also acted as a floor for risk takers to leverage along the lines of the common refrain, quote, don't fight the Fed. The Fed support continued for an extended period, leading to questions about moral hazard. Looking back in time, the Fed has arranged for banks to save long-term capital in 1998. They saved Bear Stearns, but instead they decided to let Lehman go bankrupt. We live in a populist society these days. We've seen that with the results of recent elections and some of the rhetoric from politicians. Everyone wants a piece of the pie. Modi, are you concerned that moral hazard has become a bit of an opioid for the markets? So, yes, I think that moral hazard is a big issue. But first, let's talk about COVID for a second. Government and central banks, not just the Fed, everywhere in the world, did an actually an unbelievable job dealing with the, this unprecedented crisis. The amount of liquidity, loans, basically, if you like, uh, saving the economy in a crisis that you know happened in such a short period of time, a big, big health crisis, obviously. So we got to remember that that was needed at that time, which was you know March 2020. That being said, well, what I worry about moral hazard is really on one side the fiscal national debt that uh, have basically has no one politicians those you know call it even the populist uh, side of it have really now have zero accountability, all motivation right now. Uh, by politicians everywhere to run a responsible fiscal policy because why they don't have to be accountable because central banks, the Fed and others have helped finance these deficits at ultra low rates. So really, they never are get called out to be accountable for because there's really no emerging debt crisis if the central banks are buying a lot of bonds uh, and helping finance those deficits. So I think that's one area where I think there's a moral hazard and that's that's for the public to choose responsible government going forward to deal with those growing issues of, of uh, significant rising deficits and national debt. The other problem is obviously in financial markets, to your point earlier, if we get used to having support from the Fed every time the market sells off enough or every time we have a pending crisis, then we really don't have a free capital market, right? We don't have price discovery and we see it in the bond market. And I think that's a big moral hazard because it really uh, gives motivation to people to buy any material dip without really doing the work or taking material risk because the Fed is there behind them. And, and we've seen it too many times in the last 20 years, to your point, probably started around uh, 1998, uh, but it's happened about three or four times since then. And in my view, it's a real problem for the market. So just as we finish up here, let's switch gears to a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart. And you've written about uh, this topic several times on your LinkedIn page, and that is the ever-changing world of crypto. You once said in a client call I was listening in on that your view on crypto depends on which side of the bed you wake up on. On the one side, crypto is real. It's the future bartering tool, and it's going to replace fiat currencies. On the other side, crypto is one big Ponzi scheme with big losses ahead. So i got to ask you, Modi, what side of the bed did you wake up on today? So I woke up alone right in the middle. So that's what's said in, in itself. But you know, I could choose which side I'm waking on. But I, I think that if we started, maybe go back a second and say, well, one thing is clear. China has told us what side on the bed they are. Uh, and they obviously went last week and, and effectively banned crypto. And that uh, should not be completely dismissed. Some people try to dismiss it. But this is an economy with 1.4, second largest economy in the world, 1.4 billion people who basically said, you know, we... Agree, we think that that crypto is basically a Ponzi, right? That call it whatever they want to, the way that no matter how they looked at it, they've decided that there's too much risk associated with this, uh, uh, with cryptocurrencies. So now 
I, when I look at crypto right now, I think I, I think there's three or four areas that you have to look at. We've got Bitcoin, okay? We've got what I would call the networks, uh, which are uh, some like the platform, like the Ethereum's of the world, the Solanos of the world. Then you've got an area that has a lot of like thousands of tokens where I think it's basically pump and dump schemes and fraud uh, and hype. And you've got also the NFT space, which I'm going to ignore completely right now. So if I look at, say, Bitcoin, Okay, let's look at Bitcoin as the as the first because it's 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 really definitely been the interest of uh, many people. Is that you know Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? We're basically saying let's create a virtual gold, an alternative to gold, a virtual one where it's going to be traded everywhere in the world. There's going to be a fixed supply of that, so you can actually create demand uh, or decide what it's worth. But really, it's you know whatever buyers and sellers decide at the price. So. There's definitely growing adoption on that and growing acceptance on that. There's been a lot of derivatives around it, ETFs or not. So I think that's an area where you can rationalize the need to exist. And the only thing I would worry or I would warn people about it, unlike precious metals, where we only have four on Earth, right? There's only four precious metals on Earth. And yes, their supply grows a little bit every year. Crypto, no one is stopping anyone from creating Bitcoin two or three or four. And they might actually be better that still have the same supply constraint. So really, why Bitcoin? Why not something else? And I think that that's something that investors always have to keep in the back of their mind. For now, Bitcoin has definitely been the leading cryptocurrencies, a currency, and it's getting adoption. But a few years down the road, it could be something else. Third one, which is, as I talked about, those thousands of tokens that, you know, some of them started as a joke. Some of them are started just as a, as a hype where you have promoters, celebrities, and others promoting a token that has no purpose and, and for the sole purpose of a pump and dump. This is not different than, you know, we've seen a hundred years ago more, we call it, you know, the bucket shop, the boiler rooms, the mining stock, penny stocks, pump and dump. All of this is really the same. It's again, another uh, unintended consequences of a lot of money in the system right now. And I would say, and I would argue, and I would advise everybody to stay away as far as possible from those. But the most interesting part of crypto, the most interesting space uh, in crypto is really those uh, new, if you're like technology-driven blockchain platform that are really trying to decentralize the way we do business, whether it's finance or it could be gaming or other industries. And I think that's a very exciting space. So, for example, and I think about, you know, I'll give you an, an, uh, an, an extreme example, but think about a world where collateral is decentralized and it's managed in a, on a smart contract where, it, you know, as soon as certain criteria are met, the collateral is moving around anywhere in the world instantly. What I mean by that and I'm going to use an extreme example, but it's one that, you know, can make you think, is that say that you can have a dentist in Australia giving you, Peter, a mortgage on your house or a loan against your car in Toronto, where based on predefined rules, your house and the car are posted as collateral. And if you don't meet the rules or you miss a payment, the house almost automatically gets registered to the Australian dentist using smart contracts and decentralized registry. And this might sound like a very extreme example, but you can see where the opportunity is. And you can see that if we move to a world like this, the impact that it will have on in the financial world, the impact it will have on banks, on the movement of capital globally. So I think this is a space that I think we all want to watch. 
it's interesting because it could also be a, a technology company they've done it. I don't know that necessarily it's a crypto, but it's end up being uh, under that space. And and we've seen we're seeing the rise of Ethereum related platform, or we say even I can say Solano, which uh, has seen its price, the token uh, price uh, uh, increase of a hundredfold in the past year. And I, I've talked to someone who really understands crypto last week, and his view is that Solano is going to be bigger than Ethereum. So you basically have this quite exciting space that is is a very interesting, full of ideas, and with a lot of innovation that can definitely change the world, but obviously with a lot of risk. The overall space is one that's moving really, really quick. I think all of us can agree that unless you're like a real techie, it's really hard to uh, keep up with the changes. It's really hard to keep up with the uh, lingo, but it's it's a very exciting space. Even if only 5% of the things or 1%, even if only 1% of the project that people are working on in crypto are actually going to work at the end, they, they have the opportunity or the, the potential to change a lot in, in different industries, uh, obviously in finance in particular. And that's why I think the whole space of uh, decentralized finance and DeFi, or it's known as DeFi, is exciting and one that uh, we cannot ignore. Anyone in the capital markets and, uh, cannot ignore, and we have to make sure we follow it and, and, uh, and be on top of it. I agree wholeheartedly with what you've said, Modi, and I find myself climbing up that curve and constantly being behind what's going on in the crypto space. One of the reasons why uh, the governments, perhaps like China, are concerned about Bitcoin and other uh, cryptocurrencies is the potential loss of relevance of their fiat currencies. In the same sense, as you talk about decentralized finance, or DeFi as they're calling it, regulators worry about their loss of control over capital markets. Do you think at the end of the day, though, Modi, that regulators, and you're seeing this a little bit in the United States right now, are going to slow play uh, crypto regulations and, and make it very difficult for those crypto companies to, or the decentralized finance to allow things like stocks to trade on decentralized platforms? 100%. I think the problem that uh, this space is facing, it's the problem and the opportunity. So regulation for this space is a good thing. I think everybody in that space, unless you are trying to fraud and pump and dump, I think appreciates that the best path forward is regulation. The problem is you know, how stringent, because if we're going to go to China route, then it's uh, it's a problem. But anyone who thinks, and, and it's interesting because the people who launched Bitcoin or the original theory behind Bitcoin or the purists, if you like it, were looking for a decentralized world. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, I, I just don't see a scenario where the U.S. government tomorrow morning is going to be OK giving up the U.S. dollar and everything that it means. I mean, if you look about the last 50 to 100 years, the main way for the U.S. to dominate the world economy, and not just the world economy, but even through military, is the role of the dollar in the financial market, the strength of the dollar in the financial markets. All of our payment system, the SWIFT system, is all based on dollars. You want to have sanctions on Iran? You're only able to do that because we're using the SWIFT system in U.S. dollars. The second the U.S. gives sovereignty or gives the dollar, gives up on the dollar and embrace a Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, that's the end of the U.S. as we know it. So I know that some politicians right now are playing nice. There is definitely hype. It's maybe a, a populist view. It's, it's popular. They don't want to they don't want to be the party pooper because so many investors and people are 
trying to get into the space. And as I said before, there are areas in it that are very interesting and innovative. But to think for a second that we would allow any, any open economy and democracy will allow something that's unregulated and decentralized that, as I said, someone from Australia or from China uh, can have as much control, I think is ludicrous. So uh, someone smarter than me said that, you know, crypto will be banned as soon as it becomes too big, right? Because basically right now, although it's gone a lot and it's, you know, say, call it $2 trillion market cap across the tokens, it's still manageable. It still doesn't really affect the real economy. It still doesn't uh, threaten the Fed. But once that changes, you will see aggressive steps against it. And I think China is doing it because they see it and they see it, they see it coming. They obviously have an interest to control their economy and social order and social structure much more than, say, Western societies. But don't let's all kid ourselves. Western societies are going to protect themselves as well if they felt that this was a threat to their sovereignty, a threat to their the currency, uh, a threat to their independence. Okay, Modi, just as we finish here, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't get you to give us your predictions. I know you don't typically shy away from having a view on the market. What is your view for, uh, I'll just put you on the spot, where's the S&P going to close at the end of the year? And where will the uh, 10-year bonds in the United States be at the end of the year? And then also throw in, as you're an old currency guy, where's the dollar at the end of the year, Canadian dollar rate versus the U.S.? Okay, wow, interesting. So a lot of stuff. So I think that uh, let's assume that the economy is going to continue to chug along and let's assume that there is going to be tapering and we already had a big run of inequity. So I, I would say that uh, what we're seeing in the last few days is a decent theme uh, that could continue into year end, which is basically growth uh, stocks are going to struggle to continue to uh, outperform. The value stocks are going to be okay. They, they might not rally as, as much or not. And I think so we might end up you know, say it's going to be a flat market from here to the end of the year or, you know, up and down small, there will be increased volatility, mostly because of the Fed and the expected tapering. And data is going to become more important because, you know, you go back to the first questions. Uh, first question, are we going to tighten 22 or are we going to tighten 23? That will have an impact on uh, the equity markets. If, if U.S. 10 years ends up the year at, say, 175, which I think is, is not a bad prediction, then, you know, as I said, it will be harder harder for equity markets to charge ahead. But, you know, the market has proven itself that it's a buy on every dip. Retail investors are still dominant. Um, again, if they go back to work and stop maybe and trade less, then again, that might take some uh, foot off the gas for those equity markets. On the dollar, so obviously, if you think of higher rates in the U.S., higher yields, strong economy, then the dollar, generally speaking, will perform well. Um, that being said, uh, if you think about Canada and the Canadian dollar, so I think, you know, we've seen oil rise, commodities continue to do well, and uh, the economy here is doing well. There's more talk about rate hikes here. So you could see a scenario where uh, once we get through this little bit of equity correction here, the market stabilizes, the Canadian dollar could actually outperform into year end. Um, and so maybe... Uh, you know, I think we're one close to one twenty-seven and a half as we uh, record this podcast. You know, if I had to choose, you know, one twenty-two or one thirty-two, I'd probably go with one twenty-two. And one twenty-two uh, again means a strong Canadian dollar, weaker U.S. In that context, the Canadian dollar is kind of outperforming the rest of the G G10 uh, world as long as you know we still have elevated, you know, natural gas, oil, and other commodities and economy here that's uh, gathering momentum. As to your point. 
syrup coming off and uh, people going back to work. So I think you know that's maybe not a bad theme for the last quarter of the year. Well, if we're going to be uh, seeing a strengthening in Canadian dollars, uh, that should be good for those of us that are at some day, hopefully able to cross the border into the United States. And that will obviously be a, a big catalyst for, uh, I think, continued developments between the two countries. So we can certainly hope someday uh, that the border will reopen. Modi, thank you very much for your time today. As always, very passionate about markets. Really appreciate you uh, jumping on our podcast here and look forward to speaking to you down the road where we can judge whether or not your predictions were correct. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for listening to Viewpoint, a TD Securities podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to this series on Google Podcasts or Spotify. For more thought leadership content, visit tdsecurities.com and follow us on LinkedIn for all the latest TD Securities updates. For relevant disclosures to this podcast, please refer to the Viewpoint landing page on our website.